Well, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to open it up to the book of Exodus. You can turn to Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to um, read a passage out of the book of Romans first on our way to Exodus chapter 1. But uh, we're going to spend the bulk of our time, like we say, in the book of Exodus. Let's go to Lord in prayer and we'll begin. Father, again, we come before your throne and we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Father, we pray that you would mold us to be more like your son. Father, we pray that you would uh, indeed do great things through us. Lord, we pray, especially now, that you would feed your people. And Father, I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week, if you were here, we talked about the topic of worship. We, we walked through the book of, of Genesis, and we looked through what Abraham was doing as worship, and we walked through um, what Isaac and Jacob were doing as worship, and we kind of talked about what the idea of worship was. When they were doing these things, what is it that was actually taking place that was acceptable to the Lord? And we kind of ended on the note of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, as a definition of worship. And what we're going to do this week is that it, the way that Scripture is laid out, it kind of looks like Genesis is given to you so that you can see what worship is. And then you transition into the book of Exodus, and you kind of see a good definition of what worship is not. Right? And you go, well, why, why in the world would the Scriptures do that? Well, sometimes when you ask someone a question about what something is, isn't it easier to tell them sometimes what it isn't? I mean, it just is. And so you could say, what is, what is this? And you could, you think, well, it's, it's not this and it's not this and it's not this. I guess that means that it, it fits this tight little niche of exactly something, but it's easier for me to tell you all that it isn't. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to dive through the book of Exodus. We're going to look at some, some good times in the life of Israel and we're going to look at some not so good times of, in the life of Israel and we're going to draw some conclusions out of the book of Hebrews at the end as to what is acceptable worship. And then next week what we're going to do is we're going to talk about why worship is so important. And I'll give you a little hint of why worship is so important. Because Jesus says that faith, hope, and love are important, but love is the greatest because faith is going to give way to sight. Hope is going to give way to actually having what you're hoping for. Love is never going to end. The other thing that's never going to end is worship. And if we don't worship God here on this earth, it's foolish for us to think that we're going to get to heaven and continue to worship for all of eternity. So that's a little hint at where we're going next week. But this week, uh, you're in the book of Exodus. I'm in the book of Romans chapter 12. Paul says to the church in Rome, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And so we talked last week that worship is more than singing. It's more than praying. It's more than giving. It's it's giving your body as a living sacrifice to God. And so when you're tithing or giving an offering, you're giving of yourself wholly to God, something holy and acceptable. When you pray, your prayers are only acceptable if you're giving yourself holy to God as your spiritual act of worship. And it goes on and on and on that the only thing acceptable to God is when you are fully giving yourself to him. If you're giving the least bent, the least bit, and we're not just talking about finances here, when you're giving things in your life with the least bit of holding back, it's unacceptable. So the only worship we have is 
Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And so what I've done again is now we're over in the book of Exodus. I want to briefly outline the book of Exodus for you. Uh, for some of you nerds like me, this is going to be really entertaining. For some of you, this is going to be a little boring, but it's only short, so hang on. So just so you can win any Trivial Pursuit game you play that has to do with the Bible, there's 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. There's 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. Leviticus has 27 chapters and Numbers has about 36 chapters, okay? And they're all mapped out perfectly. If you were to outline it in an English class, all these books would make perfect sense. So you have the book of Exodus, and Exodus starts out in chapters 1 through 11 with the 10 plagues, right? This is pretty easy to remember. You got kind of an intro chapter, 10 plagues, 10 chapters. They don't fit that well, but it's an easy way to remember it. 1 through 11 is the... Ten plagues. The people are going to be delivered from Egypt. Chapter 12 is the Passover, where they share the Passover meal, and they're going to actually put feet to the ground, leave Egypt, headed for the promised land. Then in chapters 13 through 24, you have the people kind of making their way towards where the promised land is. And then you have some unique chapters, and this is where the, this is kind of where the heart of, of Exodus is. Everybody tends to lean towards the plagues because they're fascinating. But the meat and potatoes of the book of Exodus is actually in the latter half. It's in the, the boring half. If you've ever read Exodus, it's easy to read up to about chapter 24. When you get to chapters 25 through 31, only an engineer appreciates chapters 35 25 through 31 because Moses is up on the mountain and God is giving him blueprints for the tabernacle. Now, if you were to look at blueprints for this church, let's say that this church got taken away in a hurricane and we were to rebuild it, uh, an engineer or an architect would give us about 40 pages of pictures, right? I do good with pictures. Right? I like to flip through architectural plans. You can see everything written out. But imagine that there's no CAD machine. And some of you don't even know what a CAD machine is. But there's no CAD machine or program to give you drawings. And so what God does is he says, write these plans down. And so instead of seeing a door in blueprints, he says the door is going to be 25 foot high, 10 foot wide. It's going to be covered in gold. And you don't get pictures. You get a description. Now, descriptions are great for about a chapter. But you get like five or six chapters worth of describing what a building looks like. And so if you're a normal human being, this is going to be encouraging for a lot of you. Exodus chapter 25, pretty neat. 26 through 31, I'm starting to want to poke myself in the eye because I don't, I'm not really into the description all that much. But listen, it's fascinating to see how God has laid out the tabernacle. It does get a little boring though. And so then you get to chapters 32 through 34. You, and 32 through 34 are a little bit different. God's finished giving the description for the tabernacle. Word by word, exactly how he wants it. 32 through 34 are the people in the wilderness worshiping a golden calf. Then you pick up on chapters 35 through 40, and God, through the Holy Spirit in the book of Exodus, repeats everything that was given in chapters 25 through 31. And the reason he does this is because he wants you to see exactly how obedient the people were, and we're going we're gonna to show you this a little bit more in depth as, as the service goes on, but he shows you God told them to do something a certain way, and then they did it exactly the way he told them. Right? And so you have this great act of obedience by the people. But tucked in between these, this great act of obedience, 
You have God telling them something word for word. You have them obeying it word for word. But tucked in the middle, the people of Israel are worshiping a golden calf. And you go, why in the world is the whole book laid out like that? And I want you to see that through the book of Exodus, God wants you to see the heart of his people when it comes to worship and what they're really worshiping. And so, don't worry. I'm going to start out with the good parts about what the people did. It's going to get a little negative, okay? Don't worry about it. Just hang on. And then we're going to talk about what we can do to avoid where the Israelites went. So, all of the the references to worship in the book of Exodus, and there's not a whole lot. If you were in, you don't have to turn here. I'm going to kind of run down a list. If you were to go to Exodus chapter 3, God calls Moses, the, the bush is on fire. And God tells Moses that the people, this is proof that I'm God. You're going to deliver the people out of Egypt and they're going to worship me on this mountain. Pharaoh gets mad by Exodus chapter 12 and he just says, scram. He says, get out of here, take the people and go worship the Lord as you see fit. And then the next two instances of worship are in Exodus 20 and Exodus 23, where God's giving the Ten Commandments. The people are out in the wilderness. He stops, gives them the Ten Commandments, and he tells them, don't worship anything but me. He tells them this twice, three chapters apart. Don't worship anything but me. And then you get over to Exodus 34 again, and God tells the people, don't worship any other God. In Exodus chapter 24... God brings up worship. He tells the people that come to the mountain, but don't go on the mountain. Only Moses and the 70 elders of Israel are to go up on the mountain. God says everybody else is going to worship me at a distance. And then one time in the book of Exodus, you see all of God's people worshiping the Lord. That's when Moses goes into the tent of meeting. Hopefully you remember this. There's a tent of meeting. God's leading his people in fire by night and a cloud by day. When Moses would go into the tent of meeting to meet with God, the scriptures say that everybody in the community of Israel would go to the door of their tent and they would worship the Lord. And this is the only instance in the book of Exodus that you have the people worshiping the Lord, separate from what Moses is doing. Then... During the Passover, after God explains the Passover, says all the people bowed low and worshipped. And so you have this great event that's going to take place. Exodus chapter 12, remember. The Passover. God tells them, whoever puts the blood of a lamb on their doorpost, their firstborn is going to be saved. And of course, God's told them something simple to do. There's going to be great benefits because of doing it. And all the people worship the Lord as a result of that. And so these are the these are the good things that the people are doing worshiping the Lord. They even say some really good things. Okay, you ever known somebody that could say the right thing at the right time? When people come to our church to ask for things, right? Not talking about any of you all, but when people are coming through Windsor, they're passing through. Ask anybody on our missions team, right? On our missions committee, who who takes applications to see who we're going to help out. Everybody has a good story, right? Everybody has a good story. They say the right things. I haven't talked to anybody in Windsor that was in need who wasn't a born again, uh, uh, sold out believer in Jesus Christ just fallen on hard times, right? Don't worry about drugs and alcohol and all those other things. I'm a sold out believer and, and say all the right. They try to lead me to the Lord in the midst of a conversation. Okay. And so people who say the right things, but might not be the right thing. And here's an example of some of the things that they say. And we're going to be here long enough where you can turn Exodus chapter 19. This is one of those points in scripture where you get really excited 
Because all along, you should be cheering for the people of God. They they pull so many bonehead moves, it gets hard to pull for them. But every time there's a chance that something's going to go right, I get excited, even though I've read the story a hundred times, that they might get it right this time. Because they say the right thing. Listen to this. This is Exodus chapter 19. We're going to read 1 through 9. Excuse me, 1 through 8. In the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt... On that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now then. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a holy kingdom of priests and a nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And so this is great from God, right? God is saying, Moses, go tell the people, look at all the great things I did taking you out of the land of Egypt. Tell them if they'll listen to me and they'll obey, I'll make you a nation of kings. Or I'll make you a nation of priests, wholly set apart for me. And you're like, yes, all the people have to do is obey. That's all they have to do. And so Moses, verse 7, so Moses came and he called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. And so Moses is doing what God wanted him to do. He's going to go before the people and he's going to recount everything that the Lord had done and say, listen, guys, if you'll just obey, God is going to use you in the whole world. And so all the people together, verse eight, all the people together answered and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And so if you've ever led people, this had to be like an absolute high point for Moses, right? Moses has met with the Lord. He's talked to the Lord. The Lord has said, go, tell the people this. If they'll do it, I'll pour out my blessings and they'll be a nation set apart for me. And Moses does exactly that. He stirs the people, tells them what to do. And the people respond with the best thing you could ever hear after giving a compulsive speech. And that's everything that you've said we will do. Wouldn't you love to give your kids a pep talk, right, before they go to prom, before they get their driver's license. And just at the end of the prep talk, they look at you with this grin and they just say, Mom, Dad, everything you've said we'll do. Like, we'll do the speed limit. We won't text and drive, right? We'll be in by 10. We, everything you said we're going to do because we love you and we know that you're only looking out for our best interest. Wouldn't that be amazing? You ever, you ever had that pep talk with your kids and then you give them the keys and as soon as they walk out the door, you just go, they didn't mean a thing they said. You ever done that? Maybe? I can tell by who's laughing and not laughing how good some of your kids are and how bad of decisions some of them may have made. Anyways, so the people, everything you've said we will do. And so gang, they say the right thing. You get over to Exodus chapter 33 and it happens again. Flip a couple pages to the right. Exodus chapter 33. This is chapter 33, verse 10. This is after the people have gotten caught red-handed, right? They've been worshiping the golden calf. Moses has come down from the mountain. He's broken the rocks that, that contain the Ten Commandments. And the people are doing the right thing after they get caught with their hand in the cookie jar, right? 
verse 10 of chapter 33. I'll, I'll read verse 9. It came about whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And so I want you to see that they've said the right thing. Everything you said we will do. And then they get caught with their hand in the cookie jar, worshiping a golden calf. And then you have them doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, worshiping the Lord. I don't want you to see something about the people here. There's a reason that they do the right thing at certain times. And there's a reason they're not doing the right thing at other times. And so this list is a little longer, but but flip back to Exodus chapter 5. I know this is a journey through the book of Exodus, but we're going to cover it in just one message. Exodus chapter 5. Verse 21, God speaking to, excuse me, Moses is speaking to Pharaoh through God. He says, I want you to let my people go so that we can go out into the wilderness three days and we can sacrifice to the Lord. He has the 70 elders of Israel with him so they know what's going on. And in verse 21, it says this, they said to them, may the Lord look upon you and judge you for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Verse 23, ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, this is Moses speaking to God. He has done harm to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. And so the whole book of Exodus starts out with Moses going to Pharaoh on behalf of the people to free God's people. So Moses is doing the right thing, exactly what God's called him to do, to free God's people. And as soon as things get a little bit hard, everybody bails on Moses and they start to say, why are you doing this? Our life has only been a wreck ever since you showed up, right? He had the 70 elders with him knowing exactly what's going on. And so I want you to see this. There was one time we were going through something at church and one of our wise men at our church patted me on the shoulder and he said, he said, Pastor, I'd love to tell you that things are going to get better, but they're probably going to get worse first. And I was like, well, boy, that was encouraging. Uh, But it was because I learned that wise people often know that in order to get somewhere that's worth it, it's going to be difficult first before you get where you're supposed to be. Anything easy is not worth having. You following me? Anything worth having is going to take hard work. It's going to take sacrifice and dedication to get where you're going. Following me? And so oftentimes, even when God is leading, things get harder before they get better. And so here Moses has showed up. He's told Pharaoh, free the people. And the people are mad now that things have gotten worse for him. And they're grumbling and complaining to Moses. Now you go over to chapter 14. I told you it was going to get a little negative, but just hang on a little while longer. 14, chapter 14, verse 10. This is right before the Red Sea is going to be parted. As Pharaoh drew near, this is Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, so this is it. The Israelites are crying out to the Lord, save us. Then they turn to Moses And they say, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in this wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out to Egypt? 
Is not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And so these people are crying out to the Lord and now they're ready to crucify Moses. But check this out. Flip back to verse 13, chapter 13, verse 21. How is it that the people ended up at the Red Sea in the first place? Verse 21, the Lord was going before them and a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And so the people got to the edge of the Red Sea because they were following a giant cloud that was the Lord. And when things got rough, they complained to Moses about it. Now go on to chapter 15 again. Chapter 15, verse 24. And this is so that you can see what's going on with the people. So you know the story. The Red Sea opens. The people walk through on dry land. Miriam sings this song to the Lord of praise and worship to the Lord. And then they get on the other side of the water and they begin to complain again. Verse 24. I'll go to verse 23. When they came to Moriah or Merah, they could not drink the water there because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now you flip over to chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 3. After they complain about water, Moses gives them water. Now they're hungry in chapter 16. And says this in verse 2. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. And you know the rest of the story. It's going to rain bread from heaven on six days. They're allowed to collect bread on the sixth day. They're to collect twice as much because on the seventh day, they're not to do any work. So they need to collect a little extra. They're not to collect any extra any other day. Go over to chapter 16, verse 19. Moses says to them, this is chapter 16, verse 19. Let no man leave any of it until morning. That means don't have any left over in your house. Verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses and left some part of it until morning. And it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. And so God has given them very specific instructions. And it seems like all along the way, they're complaining and disobeying. Now we'll go to chapter 17, verse 3. Again, there's no water. Verse 2 of chapter 17. And this is, this is about to the end of what we're going to talk about with the, uh, with the Israelites. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. And so what I want you to see is go over to verse chapter, excuse me. Go over to chapter 25. So keep one hand in chapter 25. You're going to need to look at two places at once, okay? We're going to go a little slow so you can do this, but it's going to be worth it. So keep one hand in Exodus chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 2. And then flip over with your other hand to Exodus chapter 35. 
Exodus chapter 35, verse 4. All right. You in both places? It's going to be worth it. Okay. So we've, we've seen what's going on. We've seen God deliver his people from the land of Egypt. If you remember anything that we've talked about before, Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world, and there's no way that a bunch of Israelite slaves are ever going to be freed from Israel's, Israel's power. But God stretches out his hand, and he delivers his people from Egypt. And he does it in such a way with ten plagues so that his power and his fame can be spread throughout the whole earth, so that the whole world can see how great God is through the way he delivers his people from slavery. You following me? So much so that about 50 years later, when the people are going into the promised land, they look back and remember that event that took place and God freeing his people from slavery and the people wither away in fear because of how great the Israelites God is. Okay. And so he's done all of that. But you have the people complaining in the beginning of it. Then he's miraculously freed his people. And in chapters uh, 13 through 24, we said they're on their way towards the promised land. But whenever things get tough at all, they start to complain. You following me? Whenever things get tough, they get they get bitter. And then God shows you exactly what he wants from the people. And he shows you a picture that the people have done exactly what he told them to do. And this is what I want to show you. This is Exodus chapter 25. Verse 2, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, porpoise skins, Achaia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastplate. Now listen, because we're reading this, don't show up with goat skin for the offering next week, okay? Like, that's not the whole point of this. You've missed it if that's what you're thinking. Now you're over in Exodus chapter 35, and listen to what he says. This is Exodus chapter 35, starting in verse 4. Moses has been told exactly what to do while he was up on the mountain. He comes back and he does it. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of willing heart, let him bring it as to the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, and blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linens, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red and porpoise skins, and acacia wood, and oil for lighting, and spices for the anointing oil and for fragrant incense, onyx stones, setting for the stones, and the ephod for the breastplate. So now I want you to see just a little bit more of this. Exodus chapter 25, you were just there, verse 10. And now keep your hand in Exodus, keep your hand there in Exodus chapter 25 and flip over to Exodus chapter 37 as well. I'm going to start in verse 25, excuse me, chapter 25, verse 10. They shall construct an ark of Achaia wood, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out, and you shall overlay it, and you shall make a gold molding around it. You shall cast four rings for it, and fasten them on its four feet, and two rings shall be in one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of Achaia wood, and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles onto the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark with them. And you flip over to 37, and it says, Now... 
Bezalel made the ark of Achaia wood. Its length was two and a half cubits, and its width one and a half cubits, and its height one and a half cubits. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and out, made a gold molding for it all around. He cast four rings of gold for it on its four feet, even two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. He made poles of Achaia wood and overlaid them with gold. He put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. And so what I want you to see is I know that gets a little dull in reading two things the exact same. But God gives his people very specific instructions, right? A to-do list. And the people carry out the to-do list to a T, word for word. So the reason that Moses gives you this is because this is a sign of obedience. If you wanted to be a faithful Israelite to his master, if your master says, I want you to go jump in the company truck, go to McDonald's, get me two all beef patties, special sauce, cheese, pickles, onions, lettuce on a sesame seed bun, right? What's he want? A Big Mac. When you came back, you wouldn't say, hey, boss, here's your Big Mac. You would say, hey, boss, here's your two all beef patties, special sauce, cheese, pickles, onions, lettuce on a sesame seed bun. And the reason that you would do that as crazy as it sounds to us, is that you would want your boss man to know that you were 100% faithful to get him exactly what he wanted. It's a way of showing that you did the right thing exactly the way they asked. And so God gives instructions, and Moses shows you through God's word that they carry them out to a T. But what the Holy Spirit wants you to see in the book of Exodus, when it comes to the topic of worship, you remember back to Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis? Cain and Abel both bring the same thing, right? They bring the first fruits of what God gave them. The first fruits. One was acceptable. One wasn't acceptable. When you get to the book of Hebrews, you learn that the reason one was acceptable and one wasn't acceptable is that Abel's offering was given through faith. Cain's offering wasn't. That means Abel's heart was in what he was doing, and Cain was just going through the motions. You've got the whole nation of Israel here. Two million people strong. And these people are going through the motions. When Moses is around, they do the right thing. When Moses was gone, they complain, they murmur, and they build themselves a golden calf to worship because it's convenient. Taking the easy way out. What I want you to see, gang, is that the hearts of the people were not where they wanted to be. They did the right thing, but they weren't the right thing. And so we need to be a people who worship the Lord. We need to be the people who, no matter what is going on, our heart is in the right place. Our mouth is in the right place and we're constantly not just ourselves doing the right thing, but we're encouraging those around us to do the right thing also in following the Lord. If you were to go to the book of Proverbs, you don't have to. Proverbs chapter 37 says, so as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And we were just talking in Sunday school with the students about this. We need to be the type of people who when nobody's around... We're sharpening each other, taking off each other's rough edges, encouraging each other to follow the Lord and be who the Lord's called us to be. 
right? And we need to be people who surround ourselves with friends that are like that. Wouldn't it be great if all of your friends encouraged you to follow the Lord? If all your friends helped you to brush off your rough edges so that you could be more like Christ? In order to have friends like that, you have to be a friend like that. And so the encouraging word is that we need to be people who are continually sharpening one another, whether we're in this room or out of this room, because this is serious. Go over to the book of Hebrews, and I've read this a dozen times, I know, but it is so serious, we're going to read it again. Hebrews chapter 3. The book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's after all of the books that begin with T, okay? Hebrews is one of those books that tends to be missing on most days, right? You ever had to flip to the book of Hebrews, can't find it? So you give up? I know that's why some of you aren't turning to Hebrews. I've done it before too. All right. Now we're in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. And I want you to see the danger of not sharpening one another. I want you to see the danger of not being the real deal or only being the real deal when people are around. And it says this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with them, this generation, and said, they always go astray in their heart and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, this is gonna, you're gonna have to hang on for a second. God's rest was the promised land. The promised land was a picture of heaven, right? And so, keep this in mind. If you don't enter into God's picture of rest on earth, you have no chance of getting into God's eternal rest, right? That's the imagery that's going on here. And so, I swore to them in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12. Take care, brethren. That there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For if we have become partakers of Christ, excuse me, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast to the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses. We're talking two million people. Them who came out of Egypt led by Moses. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Listen to this. This is the meat and potatoes of the whole message. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. You following me? We see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. That means that it's possible to walk through the Red Sea on dry land. It's possible to spread blood on the doorpost and your kids be saved. It's possible to build the tabernacle exactly the way God wants it. 
But it's possible to be filled with unbelief and complaining and murmuring at the same time. And he says, that's not worship. That's not worship at all. And so this message is about what is and isn't worship. Worship is someone who believes. Someone who does the things that God calls them to do, regardless of the cost. And someone who is joyful doing it. Unbelief can look like this. Doing the same thing everyone else is doing that's good, but their heart not being in it. And their heart being filled with with complaint and lack of joy and all sorts of other things. And the scriptures, not me, says that that individual doesn't believe. And it is heartbreaking. Because that means that all of those people in the wilderness fell because of unbelief. And I think, I think that this is the one that tipped it over the edge. God walks his people to the edge of the promised land. He's full of long suffering through all of the complaining and all of the lack of contentment that the people have. He walks them to the edge of the promised land and he says, there it is. That's the land I've prepared for you. Go. And they go, oh boy. The people look big. I don't know if we can do it. It's a bad idea. And they send the spies in. And the spies talk the people out of it. And so God says, go this direction. And the people go, oh no, it is not a good idea. And the scriptures say that they all died in the wilderness because of unbelief. And the scriptures tell us to be careful that we don't make the same mistake and die in unbelief. And so last week, super encouraging. This is what worship is. This is what we need to be doing. A great time of invitation, right? Where we we worship the Lord and give ourselves wholly to Him. This week, boy, what do you do when you see a bunch of people who just dropped the ball, right? You pray. And you say, Lord, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be someone who goes through the actions, does all of the ministry things, but my heart's far from you. Lord, help me to be the real deal. Help me to be someone who has faith in you, lives it out joyfully and contentfully, on a daily basis. Amen. And if that's you. Praise the Lord for your salvation. And pray for the souls of your friends and family. And then. On top of it. As if that wasn't enough. Pray that you would be the sort of friend. Who sharpens your friends. Pray that God would give you people in your life. That help sharpen you. And then maybe pray. That if you don't have those friends. Maybe we need to remove some friends from our life. Who aren't sharpening us. Okay, I told the teenagers when I made a decision to live for the Lord, uh, it cost me a few friends. It really did. And the same thing is going to be true for every one of you. And I pray that you would realize that every time you step out in faith and you follow what God has for you, it's worth it every single time. Because we serve a God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he wants only good things for us. That's why... He gives us this steep warning through the book of Exodus and Hebrews. Amen? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you that we have your Holy Spirit in our hearts to convict us. Lord, I pray that each of us would indeed believe. I pray that each of us would do things for you out of faith. And Father, I pray that we would be the people you've called us to be, even when no one else is around. Father, help us live lives that are sold out for you. 
Lord, help us to sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. Lord, I pray that you would do a great work in us and through us. And Father, we thank you for giving us a picture of what worship is. And we thank you just as much for giving us a picture of what worship is not. Lord, help us to be worshipers. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day they do it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us for our hymn of invitation. Well, it's good to see you guys all this week. I uh, hope that your week goes great. Be praying for our brothers and sisters that are in the southern part of the nation being affected by all the nasty stuff going on down there. Uh, don't forget, Team Kid and Youth both start back tonight. And I'm going to ask Betsy not to do that anymore. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Jack Powell, if you'll close us in prayer.